Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge explosion of fire for John Forrest. The car exploded going through the lights and this is as bad a fire as we... On this episode, we prepare for Topeka, Kansas by catching up with Kevin McKenna and Tony Pedragon to get the inside scoops. It's going to be Tim Wilkerson. Wilkerson goes 391-2. We'll also talk about a massive week in the sport of drag racing across the country. Perfect reaction time for Dallas Glenn. Triple zeros across the top of the time slip. And at the finish line stripe, it's Dallas Glenn. This is the NHRA Insider. It's Bruce Pedragon, 395-8, 324 miles an hour. A margin of victory of 26 ten thousandths of a second. Hey everybody, it's your old pal Loans back again with another episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. Getting ready for Topeka, Kansas this week. It is the NHRA Menards Nationals presented by Pet Armor, and it's going to be a great weekend, a hot weekend, of course, coming up uh, in Kansas. And it's one of the biggest, most sprawling facilities we have. It's certainly a place that has a lot of history, and it's a place where uh, we might be making some history this weekend. Who knows? we got all kinds of storylines to talk about. Our guest on the show will be Tony Pedragon, my right-hand man in the booth, and obviously uh, a guy who knows wh- of what he speaks, and Kevin McKenna of National Dragster. Uh, we've done this before. I like these two guys' energy together. They both bring up good points. They kind of uh, they kind of come at the same things in different directions. So it's going to be a fun chat uh, to have when we get those guys on in just a couple of minutes. Um, but one of the things I wanted to talk about before we got the guests on is the fact that last week was an incredible week for the sport of drag racing um, across the country. And we can talk about any number of different events. You had the Norwalk 900 Fire, total massive sellout crowd there, one of the biggest capacity drag strips in the country. Uh, Then you had the event I was at, the Night Fire Nationals in Boise, Idaho. This is a race that I did last year. I did the 50th anniversary. They called me to come back again. The new family is spectacular. It's kind of the Norwalk of the West. Um, it's a stunning facility. We had Nostalgia Nitro Funny Cars, Nostalgia Top Fuel Dragsters, Fuel Altered, all kinds of bracket racing, and sellout crowd. Friday night was full. Saturday night was over capacity. Uh, then we can talk about the race that was just held in Chicago. The NHRA Regional uh, Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series Regional event that was held. Uh, They got some rain on Sunday, but uh, it still was a great show and a great omen for a potential national event return to that facility next year. All of us have our fingers crossed to be able to go back into that Chicago market. And it is one of the most incredible racetracks in the country. And uh, certainly I've missed that place, but it was great to see um, Will and the entire Division Three kind of world descend upon that that joint and have a great race for themselves. So fingers crossed. Uh, let's see. At Funny Car Chaos had a killer event. You had all different types of stuff that was going on. Um, you had a US-131 there, Northern Nitro Nationals, where Gary Pritchett uh, was r- racing Krista Baldwin. Yes, Gary Pritchett was racing a top-field dragster against Krista Baldwin, uh, running 380s, and, and Krista was running some solid 390s and having a nice, really what amounted to a test session for her and her team up there, and they were able to sort some things out. So um, it was a banging weekend in the sport, and you know it's, it's one of those weekends where – um, it's not necessarily the potential of what it can be. It's really what it should be, you know, on a week-to-week basis. I think when we look at drag racing, so many people are, are you know, quick to grab the rosary beads and, oh, the tracks are closing and, oh, the sports is going to go. And it really isn't. I mean, yes, we've challenges galore like every business is facing. Do I want to lose racetracks? No. Are the racetracks being built? In fact, there are. Um, there are racetracks being constructed. There are massive investments being made in racetracks to upgrade them. Just look what's been done down in Bradenton, Florida. Um, the track I was just at, Firebird, is in a constant state of investment and, and upgrade and maintenance. It's it's unbelievable. So uh, I'm always happy when we see a weekend like that in drag racing where you can look to any corner of the country and see unique events, filling racetracks, uh, wowing crowds, and, and making new fans along the way. And, you know, we come up and we're within a few weeks now of one of the um, really, I'm going to say within two weeks of it, the U.S. Nationals, the weekend before the U.S. Nationals is another one of these banging weekends. And it's 
you, you know, we talk about the effect of the U.S. Nationals and, and how it's changed over the years, this, that, and the other. But the reality is there are so many support races around the U.S. Nationals, it is ridiculous. From the Bowling Green uh, Lucas Oil race, there are Lucas Oil races in almost every division that weekend because people want to go out and race and then head to Indy. Uh, you have the NMRA, NMCA race that happens um, up in up in Ohio at Norwalk, which has a huge contingent of stock and super stock racers that will be running up there. Cobra Jet racers, Copo racers, um, they're hitting the racetrack and getting their stuff tuned up and ready to go for the U.S. Nationals. So um, people absolutely, people absolutely are kind of in this time of the year there's a swarm going on and, and there always is and it's a very exciting thing to watch and, and kind of be a part of in drag racing so uh as i mentioned and as everybody knows it's going to be 100 degrees in topeka this weekend um, and i'm not making light of that it is just that the overriding topic that we've all been discussing now the good news is coming off of that seattle race uh, our teams certainly have warm weather tune-ups. We look at the cars that succeeded in Seattle, and they're going to be facing roughly similar conditions uh, this weekend in, in Topeka. Racetrack uh, likely up over 140 degrees at times. We're going to have a fast, or in theory anyway, a fast Friday night qualifying session, and then it's really going to be bearing down and, and doing the work in the heat for Saturday and Sunday. Um there is a lot of challenges present here. Uh, we look at some of the challenges of teams that are trying to to do specific things. We're going to talk about teams that are kind of foundering a little bit in maybe the 10, 11, 12 area. Uh, who's got a potential to actually race into the countdown? Uh, some guy named Chad Green is going to do that or you're going to try to do that. Uh, you got Tony Schumacher who, you know, won in Seattle and, and is managing to, to really kind of wake up the, the crowd in top fuel to a degree. We're going to talk about Steve Torrance. We're going to talk about everything here with when I get Kevin and and Tony uh, on the air in just a moment. So all those things being said, uh, we have 16 top fuel cars coming. I believe 15 funny cars this weekend in Topeka. And, you know, the challenges of, of one parts availability are hampering a lot of people. And then, of course, we have the, uh, the fuel prices and everything else that's going on right now. But we're hanging tough. Uh, the races have been great. I mean, I, I look at Seattle. I look at the whole Western Swing, and there was not a there was not a weak sister in that group of of races in terms of entertainment value. Some shocking upsets: Jack Wyatt over Hagen first round in Denver. I think is uh, the upset of the year by a lot, uh, and then all the way to the Pro Stock final, and, the, and even all the way to the Top Fuel final, of course, in Seattle, where uh, Tony Schumacher outruns uh, Brittany Forrest, who just smoked the tires. That I'm not sure anybody had that particular. Uh, thing written down on their dance card so all of that is great all of it is fun and all of it has led us up to this point so i think with all that being said let's go ahead and welcome in the combatants i mean guests to this episode how are you i'm good man tony how you doing good brian they're the best two there are by chance there are only two of them but they are good <laughs> and they live just I'll, I'll go along with that they live just miles apart <laughs> in the bustling metropolis of brownsburg indiana um you know before we start talking about topeka guys i want to talk about a little bit about last weekend because it was a huge weekend for drag racing you know kevin we had the the nhra regional event in route 66 i was out doing the night fire nationals you had the night under fire at norwalk it's to me it's one of those great weekends in the sport where you look around and realize just how big a deal this thing is yeah it was fantastic to see that uh in spite of all the challenges we have inflation and the things that people complain about uh you still had uh, packed drag strips from coast to coast and uh the, the one event in particular uh, in fact i'm working on a story right now the route 66 event um that was really massive for a potential return there uh they had a great although the final rounds got rained out I think everything else about the event went off uh, really without a hitch. And I think everybody who was there uh, appreciated the fact that they could go back to that facility. And uh, hopefully that's just a good sign of things to come. No, absolutely. And, you know, Tony, you've you've lived the life in terms of, you know, running the night under fire deal after you run the Western Swing and everything else. Uh, did a little piece of you miss it or did you like being able to, you know, sleep in your home? No, I, it was nice being home, but if I had the choice uh, – you know, to defy death and be in a funny car, <laughs> sit behind that bomb, I, I would have probably chosen death. Um, whether it was in, in Boise, Idaho, or, you know, it's funny because I was communicating with crews. They went, uh, they had a new car and they made some test runs on it. And it was hot. It was, it was pretty warm there. And in the afternoon, you know, I remember going to that race. I'd always get there on a Friday and we'd set up, um, you know, set the pit up. 
and I would always tell my team I'd, I'd like him there. You know, it was a long day, so you have to really pace pace yeah. yourself. And uh, you know, Bader's always had easily better than thirty thousand people there in on a Saturday, especially on a Saturday evening, because their show starts in the evening at six seven o'clock. And um, he told me I was surprised. He said it doesn't seem like there's that many people. He says it doesn't seem as as, as though as there's as many people as that there's that there's been in the past. Doesn't see, there seems to be a few open spaces. And then by nine o'clock, he said that's about forty thousand people here. So <laughs> yeah, started missing it even more. He, he does. He, it's just an amazing thing. And, you know, and it just goes to show you. You know, people give a lot of credit to you know to the Bader family, and it all started with uh, Bill Bader Senior. Um, you know, but it's I think it's the way that they it, it's what they did. It's how they promoted, how they marketed. It's really how they treated their you know their their. Um, yeah, sure, they're guests, customers, customers they're, yeah. They're walking, yeah. I mean, there's nothing like it. It just goes to show you how far that goes when you do it for so many years, year in, year out, and reinvest in your facility, and they've they've uh, they've gotten it back. And it's great to see that they had a, a very another successful uh, show. Yeah. No, you know, that, 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 that begs a question. Uh, is there anything they do there that any other mid-to-large track couldn't do you know, I mean, that formula for success, if I was another track operator, uh, I would try to mimic that almost step by step. Oh, listen, at the, the track I was at, uh, Firebird Raceway on Idaho, is, is obviously far smaller than Norwalk, but it is effectively, you know, Norwalk West. They The new family and the Baders have had a, a relationship that goes back, you know, close to 40 years. Uh, the patriarchs of both families were friends, and they've worked together on a lot of different stuff. And so they run their show, and they run their, their track the same way that the Baders do, albeit it's a smaller place. And the, the bottom line is, Kevin, the answer is no, there's nothing that those guys are doing that can't be done elsewhere. It's just a lot of freaking work, and there's a lot of people that are unwilling to put that in. Well, it's a lot of work, and it takes, you know, and that's the benefit of having a family. Um, you know, you yes. Get, I always think of the task is, you know, and they, they have such a successful business model, but it's a lot of work. I mean, people look at the end result, and there's a, there's a, that's a big family, but, and, and I think racetracks are the same. I see it slowly happening with uh, with Kenny Koretsky. I mean, I, I'm getting pictures all the time. Yeah, they're paving, they're painting. I mean, he's he's easily put over a million bucks into that facility, and 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 I I know it it sounds discouraging sometimes when people say, "Hey, it's a lot of work," and and that that there's eighty percent of your of your you know workforce is out. It's like, damn, we didn't want to work that hard. Yeah, but. You know, if it's a family business and you have a few, you know, a few boys that can help you in a big family, I, I think, I think that's what the Baders were able to do, and uh, I agree. I think it can be duplicated, and I, I think that the Koretskis are are trying to do that. Uh, at probably one of the most popular tracks on the circuit. Yeah, no, it's uh, it was a great weekend all around, and I, I think we're shaping up to have a great weekend in Topeka, albeit one that uh, will not be the most pleasant weather-wise. And I guess that's where we got to start. I mean. You know, Tony, is it a benefit that we come off a Seattle race that was boiling hot so people's kind of expectations, at least in terms of, of how they're going to be working in the pit area, are kind of set? I mean, it would be one thing, I guess, if we came off a race that was 75 degrees, but in reality, we're going to see a lot of the same stuff and the crews will be working in the same conditions they saw in Seattle. Yeah, I think competitively uh, it's going to work. I think the teams will make it work. And I think I think for the most part, I, I think a lot of the teams adapted very well yeah. from Sonoma to Seattle because you had a very big swing in in conditions, in overall conditions. But I think Denver really set the stage because the elevation, what they had to do mechanically, but also what they had to do to negotiate the racetrack. You know, you had those coolers within the first 300 feet, and then it got real hot. So I think that helped them make the transition from Denver to Seattle. And I think we'll see more of it. You know, I think that the evening session will be decent. Um, but, you know, of course, Saturday and even Sunday, it looks like it's going to be 100 degrees, which, you know, that'll put the track temperature at at, a, at, a, at least 140 degrees starting from the second round. And and they've been there. They've done that. They At least at this point, they know what to plug in. If this happens earlier in the year, everybody's going to smoke the tires. And the majority of them that have always blamed the track prep, they would be blaming the track prep, the track prep. <laughs> But they can't do that. So the key is to stay hydrated, and I'm not talking about staying hydrated with alcohol. <laughs> That's a good PSA right there, Tony. And, and, Kevin, along those lines, I mean, the conversations you, you've you had with racers kind of coming into this event, uh, what have you been hearing? 
Well, you know, you, you as Tony pointed out, you, you if you're going to succeed, even during the countdown phase, you have to have a warm weather tune-up. Uh, it's that simple, and I think every team in every class knows that. Uh, so if you're not working to refine that from day one, I mean, I think the first time we have any race with hot weather, and I don't remember what it was, whether it was Richmond, whatever, you know, that should be your focus Yeah. Uh, from that point forward. And, um, you know, hopefully by now, most of these guys have a handle on it. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're going to find out who does and who doesn't. Yeah, listen, I think I think I came away um, pleasantly surprised. I think even it, through qualifying in Seattle, that you know, I, I think you know Tony and I have, and you as well, we've all lived through, uh, especially during that twenty twenty one season, the Friday night sessions that were just a sleep, snoozers because everybody's going out there trying to pull, you know blow the the scoreboards over, and uh, it seems like a more measured approach has kind of overcome everybody, and, and it's made qualifying more entertaining, and certainly it seems to have translated to race day. Um, I want to start by talking about Pro Stock Motorcycle in Topeka because, um, to me, all eyeballs on Joey Gladstone, right? I mean, it's it's the guy finally did it, three final rounds in a row. He finally breaks through, and I don't think he's going to fade, Kevin, but I do think there's a lot of people looking at him this weekend to wonder just how legit this guy is. Uh, I think he's totally legit. I think he's been legit pretty much since the day he came out here, and it's just taken us the better part of 10 years for him to find – the right bike, the right team, the right crew chief. Uh, I mean, you look at probably the bigger picture. It's great that he got his first win, but he's two points out of first place. Oh, absolutely. There's, there's absolutely no reason to think that he couldn't head into the countdown as the top seed. Uh, and if that happens, I think the rest of the field has a big problem on their hands. Because if you look, he has always been at or near the top of uh, the reaction time standings. Yep. Uh, he doesn't seem to get rattled under pressure. You know, if you had to rate a favorite for the championship right now, boy, it would be awful hard not to put him as the number one or two guy. Yeah, that's a fact. And and Tony, I think on the opposite end of that spectrum, um, you know, to bring up two names that apparently do get rattled under pressure. I mean, Angel and Steve Johnson. Now, Angel is leading the points, but you know, we we spend an inordinate amount of time talking, and she does it herself, talking about you know her mental preparation and keeping her head right. And Steve Johnson's kind of he's in third right now, but his his ability to win rounds is kind of plummeting. So. Both of those riders, how much are they paying attention to Joey Gladstone in a healthy or maybe unhealthy way? Well, whether they'd like to admit it or not, they know what's going on. They know damn well what is happening. And, and they know, I mean, you know, it's funny because I, I think the overall consensus, and if, I mean, if you go back on the three races, the Joey Gladstone win, I mean, that might be everybody's favorite, right? Yeah. I mean, that might be the highlight of the three races. I mean, you could argue, was it Brittany Forces? Was it 366? Was it 375 at Seattle? Was, uh, you know, the Tasca 387 in qual? Was it, which was better, the one in qualifying, the one in first round, <laughs> right. the second round? Right? So yeah. There were a lot of highlights, but, you know, and, and it's a shame for, for Angel. And I know she's, you know, she doesn't take it easily, but, and, and Steve, I mean, but guys, it's the same game. You know, it's the same thing you've been doing for the last 20 something odd years for Steve and Angel. And, you know, I, I, I'm not saying it's easy, but, you know, they've got good machines and I think they just, you know, and I, I I'm just, I'm just an outsider. I, I observe what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing. And if I were to give anyone advice, I'd say, you're thinking about it too damn much. Yeah. You're talking about it too damn much. Get the ball, put it in your hands, shoot the shot like you've been doing for 20 years. Let nature take its course and I, I just hear it all the time, and it's like, wow, if you guys could only hear yourselves, if you could only listen to what the hell you're saying, maybe maybe you could identify the problem yourself. It's too much stuff. Yeah. And, you know, be concise. Talk about just, I guess, be genuine. You know, don't try to kid yourself. Don't lie to yourself. Um, just get on the machine and, and do your job. And, you know, a lot of red lights and, and, you know, being late. I mean, it's all in the head. There's nothing... Nothing wrong with the bike. It's just the driver's performance, and I, I think it, it comes down. It's not that they're not capable. They're very capable. They're they're very talented. Um, but I just think mentally when they go to the starting line. And, you know, Steve, it's hard to say. I mean, he doesn't. Yeah. We haven't talked to him in a while because he hasn't been talking to Joey Gladstone. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's. <laughs> he's got to start. He's got to start running better. So who knows? I mean, I, I don't. You know, it's, it's just hard to say. It's just it comes down 
and this is where the driver, this is where the rider, you know, if anyone ever says, well, the driver really doesn't have that much to do with the car's success or the bike's success, um, you know, you, there's a good argument for that because when that driver goes into stage, I got news for you. It's all on, it's all on their shoulders. And, and a few of them have been delivering and a few haven't. Do you know, Tony, in, in, in Angel's defense, uh, I, I mean, it's not that her season has been bad at all. I mean, she's leading the points. She's significantly ahead of her teammate, Eddie Krawick, who has the exact same equipment. Uh, so, you know, I, I understand some of the issues and I know that team well enough to know that it's a work in progress. You know, that they, uh, she does put a lot of pressure on herself. And, and I think Eddie and Andrew Hines, you know, have worked with her to say, you know, don't do it. You don't need to impress us. You know, you, you have a lot of worries that, you know, you're a writer, you're going to be for the foreseeable future. Um, and as you pointed out, just get up there and do what you know how to do. Um, you know, sometimes it's easier said than done, but uh, I, I do think that she's actually improving in that area. And I, I don't have any reason to think that, you know, she won't be in this field till the end. Yeah, I see it. And you're right. I mean, by nature, the performance of the motorcycle and, and it, it, it to me, it's it's the it's not the fact of whether she'll be there or not. It's the fact of whether she'll actually, you know, be a top three rider or contending, you know, right in there. To me, I see this coming down to Joey and Eddie. I think Eddie's Eddie's performance uh, motorcycle wise has been on the rise. I think he's the type of guy that obviously has done this before on the championship level. And I think those two guys, Eddie and um, Eddie and Joey, to a degree, approach things the same way. I mean, I think Joey's a little bit more overtly passionate about stuff, but I think both guys are kind of stone cold when they're on the motorcycle. Uh, agreed, and, and I also think you have to throw, you know, th th there's nobody out there sneakier than Matt Smith, and he has two bikes that are both capable of running, and, and it, it would not surprise me during the countdown to see Matt just, you know, on Thursday of each event decide which bike he thinks has the advantage and swap as necessary and i think that would give him maybe not a tremendous advantage but at least a slight edge over the rest of the field yeah it makes sense yeah, kevin and i don't i don't disagree with anything you said um and i've seen it before i mean it's happened it happens to everyone it has happened to the best drivers out there it continues to happen to them i mean you could you could look at steve torrance and say well, what's wrong with this guy uh, nothing if you ask me he's having a good year he's very solid He's made a few mistakes, but I, I think, and and there's still time. I, I just think that the good ones, and, and I'm, I, I believe that Angel is, is going to rise to the occasion. Um, you know, they, she's had her difficulties. I think she has been a little hard on herself. I hear some drivers really not give themselves enough credit and, and not be as authentic as we'd like to. So I can't figure out why don't these, why don't they say what they say in the damn pits? Now, why can't they just have a normal conversation with the audience? Because that's what we want to hear. But I do believe that regardless of what she has gone through, regardless of the mistakes that Steve Johnson has made, see, a guy like Steve has his hands full. You know, Angel, I'm not saying, I don't really know how involved she is with setting her bike up. I know when I go to the pit, she's always doing something, yep. but not to the degree of a Steve Johnson. So, right. you know, a guy like Steve, a guy like Matt Smith, they have a lot on their plate. It's like Tim Wilkerson. He's not only got to set his car up, he's got to go over to somebody else's pit and set up another funny car. And then he's got to, he's got to get in his car and get rid of all of those things that he has done to a couple of cars. And then he's got to think about this, this guy in the other lane that's named Matt frickin' Hagen, you know, or, or caps or, or Tasca. It's like, that's a lot. I, you know, I've been there and done that. And those guys have a lot on their plate, but I, I, I'll just finish my point. I do think that, that a rider, a, a driver like Angel, I think even Steve, I, Brian says maybe not. I say maybe. I think they're going to win a race before the countdown. I think that the talent, the past champions, I, I always believe that they have it in them. I don't think they get to the point to where they lose it. I think it's just a matter of finding it. And I, I just, I think Angel is one of them, along with some of the other drivers in some of the pro categories. I think when it comes down to the countdown, they're going to show up. Well, you, you segue perfectly because I wanted to move the conversation toward pro stock and, and specifically to Greg Anderson. I mean, we've, we've talked ourselves to death on Erica and, and rightfully because she's earned it. But Kevin, to what, to what Tony just said, is Greg Anderson in a position to be that guy? Is he in a position to be the guy that, that Tony just talked about? You know, I, I don't see, um, any difference between the Greg Anderson of 
2021 and 2020. I mean, as far as driving, I don't think he's changed a bit. Uh, it just seems obvious that the elite cars this year picked up a couple hundreds. They, they've sort of neutralized his advantage, and it's been tough for him to overcome that. You know, I mean, call call a spade a spade. Greg is generally a, a 30 guy on the tree most days. Sometimes that's good enough to get the job done. Other times it's not. And I think that's what he suffers from. And, um, you know, as Greg often will say himself, I just have to dig deep and find a way. And that's what he's going to need to do here the last, you know, six, eight races of the year if uh, he wants to defend his, his championship. You know, and Tony, when we look at when we look at this idea of the of the countdown, obviously the points reset. Is this something that could actually kind of throw a, a wrench in Erica's program? I mean, when you are this far out, we've seen Steve Torrance go through it and really not falter, but I, I feel like it's two totally different categories. Yeah, and I, I think of the four categories for the reset, I think that it's going to help everybody in pro stock more than any other class you know i think i think in top fuel there's i'm i'm seeing i'm seeing four right now i'm seeing four that are, that are going to be contending for a championship in funny car i'm seeing four and pro stock bike you know that's another story but in pro stock you know if if aaron can get it together you know and kyle but greg i think greg is really the you know the guy but if greg improves so does dallas and so does Kyle. Yeah. And, you know, I think either of those, if, if you, if they can get back to the performance they had earlier this year, if they can catch up to what the elite team is doing in terms of performance, I, I think, you know, I think we see, cause right now it's a runaway. It's like, you know, forget about it. Just give her the trophy and save your, save yourself some money. That's, but, but I don't, I mean, I, and I, that's why I think the countdown, the reset is going to help because, uh, I see Greg. Greg has had the performance. I mean, he's and and I. Hey, I'm a I'm a believer. I think that I think that Greg is going to show up. You know, and it's different for everyone. But I know competitively, when I won the championship in '07, uh, it was it came down to Selzy. It, it was when they had the cutoff, right? There yep. was the top eight, and then they would cut it down to four. But those four were pretty tough cars. It was Robert Height. I think it was Selzy and Caps and myself. And I remember watching them in front of me. They got beat in Vegas, second to the last race of the year. All of them, one by one, they were dropping like flies. And I remember thinking, you know, if I could just win one round, I could, I could really put myself in a good position. And then I'd get to the next round, and I think just one more. And it's funny because I, I didn't really premeditate that. It's just the way it played out. But I learned something from that. I learned that sometimes if you overthink it, if you look too far ahead. It, that that's not good but it's it's you know trying to have the discipline or maintain the discipline of thinking that way is really tough but i, I think that greg is going to have a shot um I'm, I'm sure he's hoping he's hoping for the reset i'm sure he can't wait but i think he's trying to squeeze a little more you know brian you talked you know the history of them sending that motor back and working on it yeah. and getting it back i mean that was just one engine kyle didn't have it uh dallas didn't have it so you know, I'm pretty sure they they haven't been fishing in in Charlotte these last couple of uh, <laughs> last couple of weeks. So I think I think they're going to come out. I think their their guns are going to be blazing. I think uh, I think the reset pro stock is going to be especially good. You, you know, and, and I think when you look, when you look at Erica, I think what would be devastating. Um, you know, she she already knows going in that the hundred point advantage she has is going to be reduced to to probably ten. Yeah, I think a, a loss early in the countdown. You know, if she were to go to Charlotte and have a bad race, I think that would be devastating to come out of there second, third, fourth in points. Um, I, I think mentally that would be a, a, a big challenge to overcome. Um, you know, obviously the, the whole key to this thing, and everybody knows it, is you, you've got six races that are far more important than the first 12, 13, 15. Yeah, and you, you, cannot, know, you, cannot screw, you, you cannot screw the first one or two of these up. Absolutely not. No. So yeah, that For makes sure. that makes total sense. Uh, in funny car, am I right or wrong to say, Tony, that J.R. Todd is probably next in line for a win this season? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. You know, it's it's funny because when they show up, they kind of show up unannounced. You know, they don't like really tell anyone, "Hey, we're you know we're coming." Baskin <laughs> did. Baskin said, "Hey, we're coming." And we mm -hmm. didn't believe him for a while because 
he said he was coming and he didn't show up and then he knocked the door down. <laughs> and uh, I think JR, you know, it's kind of scary for the competition because, you know, they're always kind of hanging around, but they're not, you know, they can't quite run. It doesn't seem like they can quite run with, you know, with Robert and Caps when he's running good and, and Hagen, you know, Hagen's been off, but those guys, they're going to, they're going to show up again. And now task is in the mix and John's car, John's car runs as good as any of the ones I just mentioned, but you know, Cruz hasn't really gotten it together, but the JR has, you know, they've, they've proven at the last couple of races that they can not only just stick around uh, when you ask him to leave, but it's like, they've got a good running car and they might be a couple of maybe two hundreds, off of the pace, but it's like, man, that's two hundreds. That's not that's not five hundredths of a second anymore. So uh, they could, but they're going to have to keep pressing. I mean, right now Robert's the guy, but I'm pretty sure that when things cool off a little bit, it's going to be Hagen. Caps is going to. I mean, those guys are just too good to continue to make mistakes and miss it. So you know, I think Funny Car has really gotten interesting because I mentioned four, but there could easily be eight. There could be seven. Alexis's car runs as good as anyone's, but unless she, unless she picks it up on the starting line, um, you know, you, you got to you subtract the two to three hundredths of a second that we that everybody wants. Some of these drivers, you can subtract that right off of the top. Yeah. So you know that then that kind of leaves the the top three or four or five in in a category by themselves. It- you know, go ahead, Kevin. Uh, kind of your thoughts on the same subject, and and as we're looking at these kind of six to ten funny cars, there is an interesting, I think, story coming with Chad Green because he is trying to race into the countdown. He's only uh, seventeen points out of tenth right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I obviously he missed the race earlier, which um, probably you know, well, not probably, definitely knocked him out of the top ten. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's got he's got three races left to do it. He has to uh, basically outpoint. Um, Jim Campbell by one round uh, or, you know, significantly more qualifying points. Uh, you know, Campbell's car is definitely better. Uh, you know, they're kind of running consistent four O's, even dipping into the threes on occasion. But eh, if I had to put a wager, I think Chad Green uh, is, is in the, is in the countdown. You know, it's, it's the only way he gets in, right? Yeah. He didn't go to every race, so he's not grandfathered in. Uh, so yeah, I, I do think uh, when, when you dangle that in front of them, they'll put forth the extra effort. Uh, you know, Indy being the the points and a half. You know, obviously he's probably going to need to have a decent showing there. Oh yeah. Um, I, I, I I like their chances, and then to, to go back towards the front of the field. Um, a month ago, did you think there was any circumstance that you would see Matt Hagen? 200 points behind Robert? Zero percent <laughs> chance. Yeah, I would not have taken. Yeah. I would not have taken that action. And, and I mean, obviously, they just had a bad swing. I, I don't think there's anything fundamentally wrong with that team. Um, you know, I'd have every reason to think they'll pick it up again here, you know, this week in Topeka or next week in Brainerd. Uh, you know, they'll certainly be there at the end. But, but if there's one person in the entire sport that is grateful for the countdown reset, uh, I would think Matt, Matt Hagen is probably uh, the most grateful person out there right now. I'd have to, I'd have to agree, and and Tony, you can speak to this because you've had a you know such a long-standing relationship with Dickie Venables, but um, it seems to me that once those guys got punched in the mouth a couple times, they were never really able to get their footing back. You know, we, we the car we're looking at now is definitely not the car we saw to start the year. No, but if you look, I mean, you're talking about three consecutive weekends of racing, and if you you know if you can't you really couldn't find it in Denver, it's like okay, that's elevation. We just tried some things, and let's go to Sonoma, and you know let's try let's try this pressure plate or supercharger or this opening or that opening. Try a few different you know scenarios uh, because you know you're second in the points, and and you you know there's going to be a reset. I, I really you know like Kevin said, I don't see any cause for alarm for them. Uh, you know they had three three bad races and they just so happen to be back to back to back. You know, if you can, you spread that out over the course of a year. Yeah. Uh, I think that what's why it's so surprising is because they were, they were right there. I mean, it, for a while it just looked to be like a Robert Hagen showdown. Uh, and I think you can get back to that, but you know, now there's, you know, there's, there's more company. There's a few guys that rode up on their horses and they want, they want some smoke too. 
Yeah, and that's what's going to make this Topeka race so interesting. And and again, we go back to that heat, and um, you know, we saw we saw Robert Heights' car succeed in the heat, and uh, Robert conceded to something that he doesn't normally concede to, which is the fact that uh, he mentioned <laughs> that he mentioned the fact that the car it, you know hasn't necessarily always been that good in the heat, and so it does make them a more it does make them a more well rounded threat uh, when they have that that side of their program handled, Tony. Brian, isn't that funny how they get offended when we make the observation because the numbers don't lie and our eyeballs really don't lie to us. Um, it, it gets kind of bent in translation. But even Brittany, uh, you know, I noticed in her interview, I mean, she, she stated the truth. I mean, they haven't had the best car in the heat. And that's something that these tuners, the, the best ones in particular, they work on. They work on trying to get down a hot track, and some do it better than others. And, you know, Robert, they've really made big improvements because once upon a time not too long ago, and I, I think uh, I think some of that uh, was was directed at you, Brian, for saying it. <laughs> Probably was. Come to, find out, come to find out you were right. You were 100% right. But that is a, that's a dangerous combination because even when we get into the countdown, there's going to be some days, some sessions, and some rounds where it could get, you know, into the mid eighties, you know, even depending on the climate at the end of the year, you know, Vegas could be warm. It could be cool. And I've seen Pomona very unpredictable. It's been really hot. Uh, it could be cool. Clouds could roll in or it could get to be in the mid eighties. So you're going to, you're going to want that uh, versatility in funny car and top fuel. Yeah. And, and, you know, we kind of move into the top fuel category and, and um, not to kick things off on a negative note here, but you know, when we look at obviously Tony Schumacher, the shining light of this group because he won in in Seattle. But we look at this grouping of, of Proc, Milliken, and Brown, and really we can kind of put Colette in the same group. But uh, you know, Kevin, it's to me not that anything's too far gone, and we've seen people win from you know the tenth spot in the countdown. But geez, Louise, something's got to start going these guys' way in a hurry if they actually want to be a be a player here. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, obviously Tony Schumacher would have been a part of that conversation had he not somehow found a way to win in Seattle. Yeah. Um, and, and, and honestly, you know, this is a results oriented business. It doesn't matter how you get it done. Just find a way to get it done. Right. I mean, Schumacher's car was by no means the best car in Seattle. It honestly probably wasn't even top five, but he, he found a way to get it done. Well, uh, Antron needs to do that. Clay Milliken needs to do that. Uh, you know, we Austin Proc had the worst countdown or the worst Western swing of, of anyone. You know, it, it was dreadful. Um, they got to find a way to pick up the pick up the pieces, and and you know, you, you now have you know three more races before the countdown. They have to be better. However, whether whether you do it with luck or you improve your program or whatever, you just you have to find a way. You know, Tony, there's no lack of intelligence on any of these race cars we're talking about right now. And it's just maybe that's why it's from the outside looking in. It gets maybe even more frustrating to watch because you have an idea of how smart these guys are that are working on this stuff. But it's just going nowhere in a hurry for, you know, for the Milliken team. It's going the wrong way. And for Antron, of course, the train really hasn't got out of the station so far this year. I'm going to start here. There's a few points I want to hit, but. You know, I don't believe in magic. I'm not a superstitious person, but I do believe in chemistry and I do believe in a good work environment. And some of the things that we've heard, Brian, that we see uh, that, that the viewer at home really doesn't get to hear and see. When I hear a driver get out of the car and start throwing F-bombs and start directing some of those things at their own team, yeah, that's not good. That shows immaturity or that shows that there's a screaming for attention. But the the end result is it's detrimental to the team and uh, i've heard i've heard a driver get out of the car at the end of the track because the mic's always on and we can hear a lot more than probably what they think unless they really want us to hear that right. which i think that's the case sometimes but i got to tell you that's not good for the team when the team crew members you think that they're not valuable you think the guy doing the bottom end isn't as important as the guy making the decisions i got news for you one thing goes wrong and you go home early. So I don't think, I think that's, that's the first thing I would fix if I was a young driver getting out of the car and MF and my team and asking what the F is going on. Um, 
and the other thing that I noticed was at Seattle, you know, it was hot. But I, I did talk to Lanny. Uh, I talked to Kurt Johnson. These are track specialists. That's all they do. They're there in the morning. They're there in the afternoon. They're there the day before to try to simulate those same track conditions so they can give the, the tuner an accurate assessment of what the track conditions are going to be like when they hit the track. And I was told it was good. It was hot, but it was good. And I couldn't quite figure out why four or five drivers in the first session got out of their car and they were happy. Now, now, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Getting down the track is a good thing. But I wouldn't be too happy about a 384 or a 385 or 386. I would be happy that it got down the track. But what I was hearing was they were really happy that they had quick time. And I'm thinking, is there something wrong here with me? Am I... You know, if I might been out of commission for too long, am I losing my mind? But come to find out that David Grubnick and Brittany Force proved to me that I wasn't losing my mind because when they ran a 375, everybody was like, their jaw was dropped. But, you know, that was a 370 racetrack. Maybe not a 375. I'll give them credit. They would, they yeah. should have been two to three hundreds quicker than anyone else. But other cars, good cars. Salinas was fixing to run a 378. But everybody else was very content with a 384, a 385, and a 386. And if they're happy with those numbers, then they're going to be happy with 8th, 9th, and 10th, and 11th, and 12th in the points. Yeah. I'm done, Brian. That's all no, that was good. That was nice, man. That was a, that was, that, you, you're like Chevy Chase at the end of uh, Christmas vacation there. That was a good, that was a good rant. You know, but, but, you know, Kevin, to Tony's point, and, and I think this is interesting, is, is we, we're seeing both sides of this thing. He's talking about a guy getting out of a car and, and, and kind of leveling some, um, some harsh words at his crew. But we're seeing other guys get out of their cars after getting spanked around and going, oh, well, I'll get them next week. So where is the middle? I mean, it, obviously, things happen behind closed doors that, that we don't get to see and, and language gets used and we don't get to hear. But it is odd to me sometimes when you see a team that is clearly in, in the midst of major struggles and it's just kind of it doesn't appear to be a, a panic situation where it kind of should be. Yeah. And, and I think that the, the middle is you have to know your environment. Uh, th- th- there's there's some drivers who could probably get away with that. And, and wouldn't lose their respect. You know, you just say, oh, they're just passionate. And, and, and that's heat of the moment. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like uh, umpires in Major League Baseball. Yeah. You know, I know there's some that will toss a guy as soon as they drop an F-bomb. Uh, whereas, you know, like back in the days of Tommy Lasorda, if you did that, he never would have finished the game. Right. Um, right. So, 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 you, you know, I, I think there's a, a deal of, you know, knowing your crew, knowing your crew chief, you know, again, what what's acceptable on one team might might be totally out of line for another. Um, but yeah, I mean, to your point, and, and then to Tony's point about uh, Brittany Force, I, I think being the number one seed, you've already locked up your spot in the countdown. Doesn't that give David Grubnick the luxury of trying to run through seventy five, where other teams maybe can't take that risk? Well, the, the there was sixteen cars, so they didn't have a lot of pressure, but. I mean, they, they did it the race before, and they did it the race before that, and I could keep repeating that. Uh, but, but they set the bar. I'm just saying that they set the bar, and in the first round, in the first round it was cooler, and we saw, I think it was it was Josh Hart ran a 375, but the conditions were there to run a 375. I, I'm just saying that that the cars in that first session, it, it's, it's great that they got down the racetrack, but we see the same cars, and we talk about this on the show. We see the pattern. The pattern is is when it's hot and that track temperature gets uh, above 130 degrees, we know that Antron's going to be more competitive. We know that Clay is going to be more competitive and Langdon um, and Doug. But I still, I've said it before and I will say it again, I think that Doug is going to have a breakout race. I, I think they just need a few things to fall their way. But when you have a driver like Doug, I think he makes things fall their way. And I think that Allen just needs a couple of more runs. Everybody says they need a couple more runs, but after 300 flipping runs, I, 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 think, that, I think that I'm going to go with Allen Johnson with just about 50 runs, and I think he just needs a few more. But I was just surprised that some of the drivers, and I get it. I, I you know, hey, there's nothing like having a positive attitude, but but to some degree, I, I'm just saying that I want to see a little more authenticity. You know, I am a very small part. Of a, of a production, of a show, 
and it is about the sport. It is about these fast cars that can kill you, that are dangerous, but that are some of the most exciting things that, that stimulate our senses. And I'm, I'm just saying, I, I just, I, I plead sometimes that I just want to see these drivers be themselves. And I, I know I get a little bit heavy on that, but, you know, that's just my way of saying, look, guys, we're all in this together, you know, while we can, while I'm here, while they're there, and let's make the best of it. And the way that we make the best of it is just be yourselves, you know, and I, and I, I get the passion. Um, I don't really get the, you know, I, I get youth. I mean, I understand that, but that's why I say it. I bring it up because maybe somebody's not, uh, it's like there's all these PR people and are they not telling their drivers, hey, do you know you just said the same thing for the 20th time? <laughs> so I'm, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to rep. There's a lot of butt kissing and there's one thing that I don't like and that's butt kissing. So uh, there you have it. I'm, I'm sticking with that. Sorry, Kevin. You know, you're, 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 back to your, your point about Doug Coletta and, and mentality, uh, he is probably the perfect guy. I mean, nobody wants to be in the spot he's in, but can you think of anyone who could have the struggles he's had and, and still maintain the, the, the level sense of, of calmness that he always seems to have? You know, the, the guy, you never see those shows of emotion out of him. Uh, one way or another. So yeah, if, if there's a guy that I think has it within himself to rebound from this and and, and be really strong in the countdown once the car is there, uh, it's him instead of being beaten down and just you know basically wanting to throw in the towel on the whole season. Uh, that that clearly is not his mindset. No, you're right, and I think to me. Um, two things would be kind of cataclysmic to change the whole kind of uh, back half of the season or back, back whatever, countdown end of the season, which is one, Doug getting a win, and two, Torrance getting a win. And I don't mean simply for the victory side of it because when, when Schumacher won, great moment, awesome story, but I'm not any more afraid of that car than I would have been otherwise. Leah wins, great story, awesome move. She wins a sponsor's race, but I'm not any more afraid of that car than I already was. Now, if either of those two guys win, whether it's the first race of the countdown or the last couple of races of the regular season, those cars immediately become far more intimidating, Tony. I agree. I yeah, yeah, with without a doubt. And and because they have so much depth. You know, it's I see it this way. You know, there's some teams that would roll into a into a track and you know, what are the expectations? The expectations when you have a, a a big brand on the side of your car and on the side of your trailer. I just think the expectations should be more. And I, I'm all about a very positive attitude, but you know, I just, I think there are different, you know, there are different expectations for, for the bigger teams. And, you know, when I see, when I see Coletta, I, I see them roll in and it's like, you know, you you want, you want to win. You're not going to win all of them, but at least you go in with that attitude. And I, you know, I just think I think a lot of Doug. Uh, I don't think I'm biased, but um, you know, Kevin, you you brought up some good points, and I've always had this theory, and maybe this is a completely different uh, discussion and conversation. But I've always felt over the years, you know, if you talk to the tuners, if you talk to some of the drivers, the tuners tune the based on their personality. If you listen, if you have a conversation with David Grubnick, it doesn't take you but about two minutes to listen to him to realize that there's some intelligence here. And, and Alan John, and some of them, you go down the list and you talk to drivers and some of them are all over the place. You can listen to a few sentences, they say, they spit out. And you think, oh, these guys are all over the place. And I'll be damned if they don't drive the same way. And the tuners tune the same way. So I, I think there's something there. But again, that's a whole different conversation. But when you talk about Doug, his, his demeanor, and he's just, you know, I think he's just so grounded. Um, you know, I, I'm pretty sure in his in his personal life and when he shows up to the track. But it's that kind of it's that kind of driver that's that stable that to me is just capable of being very dangerous in a good way. Oh, Kevin, for sure, go for it, Kevin. Take us home. No, I, I um, you know, to, to that end, the, the the one beauty that you have, you know, we've just discussed all four pro classes and the points battles and. None of these are decided. None of these are even close to decided. Um, I mean, you, you could pull the top five in every class, maybe even the top seven or eight, and if I told you this guy or this girl is going to be the champion, you would probably look at me and say, you know, I could see that happening. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, whether you like the countdown or not, that's the beauty of it because if you didn't have it, you would have three championships 
pretty darn close to being decided at this point. Uh, we, we would just be talking about who's going to finish second or how many races they're going to win the rest of the year. Um, you know, th- this is going to be the, the, the next eight, nine races are going to be really exciting. And I think you're going to see a, a lot of crazy stuff. And I'll also just go on record and say, we're, we're probably not done with first time winners. I think you got two or three people in pro stock that could do it. I think you could have kind of an, an uh, you know, a, a dark horse, like a Doug Foley or a Chad green. It wouldn't surprise me to see somebody like that step up and win. Um, this is going to be a, a, a pretty good final three months of the season, I think. It will, and and speaking to some of the smaller teams, uh, they're they're going to complicate matters. Uh, and I know at least three or four cars that are part timers that are all planning on basically running Ve- uh, Dallas, Vegas, and Pomona. So um, understand, I guess they're they'll be there to muddy the waters and make things even more difficult. So it's going to be great. And of course, we didn't even touch on it. Maybe it's a topic for down the road. But Jordan Vandergriff is, you know, this whole thing's coming together, and and they're trying to make it to Indy, and it's going to be it's going the whole thing's going to be nuts, which is great. But boys. As always, thank you for the great conversation. Uh, I always appreciate being on here. I, I learn a lot. Uh, I appreciate Tony's bravery, and uh, this is a lot of fun. Let's do it again soon. <laughs> hey, what's the first stop, guys? Is it going to be Paisano's or is it the Mexican restaurant? I'm telling you, well, sit, listen, we go to Paisano's on Thursday night, get the good Italian food, and then we go to Poncho's on Thursday morning, I mean, Friday morning, get burritos <laughs> on the way to the racetrack. That's the move in Topeka, right? Poncho's, you got to do it. Sold. I'm not going, so you guys will have to, uh, I don't know, t- t- text me a photo or something, and uh, I'll be there in spirit. <laughs> All right, so then we'll, if you're coming to Brandon, we'll get cheese curds together in Brandon. Fellas, thank you very much. I will see you, Tony. Uh, see you in, on Thursday in Topeka, Tony. And, Kevin, I will see you in Brandon, Minnesota. Good talking to you guys. See you, Kevin. And that, as they say, is that a great conversation with both of those guys. Like I said, I love the fact that they kind of come at um, they come at these angles, different angles from each other, and it's it's neat. It's neat when they agree. It's even better when I think they uh, they disagree a little bit and have a, a friendly debate. So that's it. We will be in Topeka, Kansas this weekend. The NHRA on Fox broadcast will have a show of qualifying on Saturday as well as Sunday, and eliminations, of course, will be on Sunday. All of our shows this weekend are on FS1, so you can check your local listings for time on those. Also, if you're in the neighborhood, come see us. Heartland Motorsports Park is a gorgeous venue. It's been it's been reinvested in over the years. It's got a great racing surface. You got the road course there. You got all kinds of stuff. But Heartland Motorsports Park is where we will be in Topeka, Kansas. And as Tony mentioned, probably getting some good Italian food at Pisano's tomorrow night or Thursday night, I should say. And uh, Poncho's Burritos. If you've never eaten at Poncho's, I'm telling you right now, you're missing out on one of the great gems in the country unexpectedly of spectacular Mexican food. It's right there in Topeka. You basically drive past the place on the way to the racetrack. Don't just take my word for it. We pretty much, everybody that's ever eaten at Poncho's uh, and the Pedregon brothers are on the list, uh, endorses it wholly. It is a great, great place to grab a bite. And that's it. We will see you in Topeka, Kansas this weekend and then Brainerd, Minnesota week after that. It is going to be a banging two weeks here, two of the most entertaining and wild races leading up to the NHRA Dodge Power Brokers U.S. Nationals. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Loans, and I'll be back again next week.